Plum Creek Church, and we are a place where you matter. Our mission here is centered around change lives, changing lives. We believe this happens through three important relationships, intimacy with God, intentionality with family, and influence with others. God has something he wants to say specifically to you wherever you are. Our hope is that you leave encouraged and closer to him than ever before. We'd love to connect with you online at plumcreek.church or on social media to see how Plum Creek is impacting our community and what opportunities we have for you and your family to get connected. If you'd like to support the ministry we're doing here in Castle Rock, two easiest ways are through the Give tab on our website or via your mobile device by texting any dollar amount to 720-606-5563. It's a secure connection with simple instructions to get set up. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you'll enjoy this message. If you're a guest with us, if this is your first time uh, being here at Plum Creek, we've been talking over last few weeks about my family is transitioning to a new position in uh, Richmond, Virginia, and so we've, uh, I just want you to kind of, I want to give you a little bit of context uh, to, to this kind of story, and <clears throat> because today for me, <clears throat> this closes out a five-year season of my life, and uh, it's a season that almost really, truly didn't happen. And I remember uh, sitting and uh, it, it, looking at online and looking at a post and looking at a post for a student pastor position at this church uh, called Plum Creek. And I felt drawn to it. I felt like, okay, as I was reading it, as I was looking at the descriptions, as I was investigating the website, I felt like, okay, wait, this could be a place that could fit really well. It would, it, it would be really good for me and, and my family. And we were coming out of a year and a half that was really, really rough. We uh, had taken a position in Alabama, and I call it like my year of hell in Alabama. And uh, that's truly what it felt like. But both of us, uh, us and the church, we, we quickly knew that it wasn't really a great fit. It just wasn't working. There was something that wasn't clicking with it. Uh, on both sides of it, we parted ways, and I did the thing that I dreaded the most. I moved back in with my parents at the age of 40. <laughs> yes. So you can imagine the self-esteem was just at a really, really high level uh, at that moment as I found us moving our king-size bed into my mom and dad's laundry room. Yes, their laundry room was big enough for a king-size bed. And I remember just sitting there, just going, what in the world is going on? We're talking to different churches. Uh, and, and I remember telling God, I was going, you know what? God, do not put something in front of me that is not your will, because I am not in a position to be able to say no to anything. So God, I'm gonna look to you to protect me from doing that again. I don't wanna be in that, in that situation, so God, just guide us to the right spot. And over the course of 10 months, I was brought out to five different churches, flown out on the final interview to five different churches, and in the past, that had always been like, okay, well, this is, this is it. 
But at the last minute, it would go a different way, and they would, they would say, you know, hey, we're gonna go in a different direction. We've got somebody that's been here uh, for a while. We're gonna, we're gonna allow them to have that position. And, and all along, I'm just going, oh, I don't know what's going on with this. But then this church, Plum Creek, kind of came up onto my radar. I was able to have an hour conversation with Doug on the phone, and after that, I'm just like, I'm really excited about what's gonna <clears throat> potentially uh, could happen here what the future might hold for me and my family. And then I remember one morning waking up and I, and I have an email in the inbox from Plum Creek and I'm all excited. I'm like, okay, this is gonna be next steps. And it's a, basically a letter telling me, thanks for your, uh, for your interest in the position at Plum Creek, but you are no longer gonna be considered a candidate for the position of student pastor here. We're gonna move forward in a different direction. And so here I am, I've been praying, God, don't put anything in front of me that, that, I, that I don't need. And yet I'm like, my heart is being linked to this, this position. I really feel like this is really what I needed to do. And so I'm faced with this dilemma of like, what do I do in this situation? And so I did something I had never done before. I decided I was gonna email Doug and Gary. And so I emailed Doug and Gary right after I get this letter. And I said, hey, is there anything, you know, that, that you guys can, can help with? Because I didn't want to be that guy, you know, that guy that doesn't get the job. And then they call their employer and like, no, really, you've got this wrong. I really am your guy. <laughs> but I just said, you know, hey, is there anything that you can help me with in this process? We're looking to find a, a, a new place to land and, and are there any red flags that I'm not aware of? Why, why is this not, you know, uh, seeing it the way that, that I'm seeing it? And, and if you could give me any feedback I would, as I move along, uh, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. <clears throat> and Gary told me this week, he said, uh, he goes, I, I got your email and it made me kind of look back at your stuff and I started looking at your cover letter and, uh, he, and he's like, you know why? This, this looks like a really good family. I mean, why wouldn't they put a resume with a cover letter? You see, my cover letter had gotten in one stack. My resume had gotten in another. And they were like, why is this jack wagon? Why, where is his resume? Like, why, why would you just send a cover letter? And he, he emailed me back and he said, hey, there's been a mistake. Uh, we re-looked at your stuff and we want you uh, to continue in the process. And I was hired and we landed here in Castle Rock on May 14th, 2013, and over the last five years, we've made some of the deepest, sorry. <clears throat> we've made some of the deepest relationships that we have had in any church. We've embraced the mission and the culture and the vision of this place. We've seen God do amazing things in our ministry. We've seen God do amazing things in, in and through this church. We've done life together for four and a half years with our small group, gathering each week, sharing a meal together, and then pushing each other to pursue intimacy with God and intentionality with family and, and, and influence with others. It became more than banners that were hung on a wall. It became more than something just a host or a pastor would say about changed lives, changing lives. It became kind of who we were as a church and as a group of friends. And man, it's been an incredible ride with students. I can remember the days when we first started. We were in the My Wedding building on the second floor. That's where we were at, at when we were doing church in the movie theater. And we would close off the parking lot and, and drag out uh, basketball goals and, and uh, play ultimate frisbee out there. I remember one time we, we brought a bouncy boxing ring up into the second floor uh, of the My Wedding building. And then we got to move into this facility. 
And little, you might not know this, but the very first event that ever happened on these grounds was Pumpkin Olympics back in 2013. We didn't even have our occupancy in here. And Gary's like, do not go any further than the atrium. Like you can only be in the atrium. We served food out of there. We played games in the parking lot. It was Pumpkin Olympics. And then we cranked up ministry in the Verge Room. We were across the hall until eventually now we've moved in uh, to the auditorium on Sunday nights. We've been to Nicaragua and Haiti and the Philippines and the UK. It's been amazing. And I could easily go on for the next 20 minutes, you know, talking about all the great memories uh, that we've had and, and waxing nostalgic. But as we close out our time, as I close out this season of our life, I wanted to end with a challenge. A challenge for Plum Creek, a challenge for our student ministry. Because as you've heard Doug say many times, the best days of Plum Creek, the best days of our student ministry are ahead of us, not behind us. And I believe this. I believe that we, Plum Creek, were uniquely positioned in our community for exponential impact. God's doing something in our midst. God has brought together an incredible staff team that love to do life together. They like to play hard together. We like to work hard together, all running after this mission of changed lives, changing lives, and seeing this valley transformed. I believe that you are some of the most generous people with your time and your resources. I've seen over and over and over again where you give to love this community to love this church. I believe that God has given us favor in Castle Rock. He's doing something in the midst of Plum Creek. And I'm excited about that. But I also believe this, that in order to, to move forward as a church, to take the next steps that we need to take together as a church, we must not settle for being comfortable. Because it's real easy to come into this place and drop your kids off for an incredible experience at Creek Kids Come down, get some self-serve coffee that's, that's made, that's, you know, that it's perfect and, and, and really good, and, and, and then engage in some awesome worship, hear a message that speaks to your heart, and then grab some lunch with a family afterwards, and that be your experience of Plum Creek. I mean, what more do you want? I mean, after all, this weekend has been a huge part of changing lives throughout the years. We love doing that. But the potential problem is this, is that we can get lulled into thinking that church is all about us. What we get, how it speaks to us, how it makes us feel. And it's almost like we treat church like Yelp. You know, it's like we read a review and it's all about, does this meet the needs that I want met? And if it does, then I'll stay and I'll come back. But church isn't about that. And if we're not careful, we, see, we will see us move away from the relational risks of the movie theater days to the comfortable cave of our building. And we'll be satisfied just staying exactly where we're at. And I want you to know this, that this place, Plum Creek, it was built on people taking relational risks. Far, far before we had a building, it was people that were taking relational risks on a ball field or at a block party or in the office or during a classroom or hanging things on doors or just getting out there to get the word out that Plum Creek is here and man, we wanna see people transformed. It's one of the reasons I love Plum Creek. I think it was one of the reasons that I was drawn here. And I was also drawn to a lead pastor that would lay down on the floor on a map of Castle Rock and pray for people on each street. 
I was led to a, a lead pastor that would strategically place himself at a block party sitting on a cooler so that anybody that had needed a beverage would have to come to him and to have a conversation with him to say, hey, could you get off the cooler? I need a beer. But then he, it opened up uh, just conversations and relationships that weren't there to begin with, the relational risks. I think too many churches have moved away from their roots of being renegade revolutionaries to being just a religion of comfortable conformists. And may that not be so about Plum Creek. You see, Christ came so that we could start a revolution of transformation that was lived out in the world. His heart was not for us to establish comfortable environments where we create Christian consumers where their faith never intersects their everyday life. That's not what he called us to. We cannot mistake Christ's invitation as just come and listen because his invitation is go and make. He invites you and he invites me not to just come and listen, but go and make disciples. And I believe that we can fight this, but it's gonna take, uh, require something from us as individuals and us as a church. And there's a story in 1 Samuel 14 that I think can help us. And so if you've got your Bibles or if you wanna turn and get in your phone and, uh, and get to 1 Samuel 14, that's where we're gonna be. And as you're finding that, I wanna give you a little <clears throat> context before we jump into our story. This is, these are the days of King Saul's reign. King Saul <clears throat> was crowned king at age 30 and he ruled for 42 years. But Saul had a history of taking things into his own hands. When it didn't work out in his time frame, when it, when it wasn't moving along fast enough, he would kind of make decisions and kind of go against what God was calling him to do. And, uh, and he had just defeated the Amorites. And then his son, Jonathan, had just defeated uh, a, a garrison in Geba of the Philistines. And so Saul decided, okay, well, we've got a victory over the Philistines. We're gonna declare war on the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were the big bully on the block. They were a powerhouse. They had numerous troops. It said that the scripture tells us that, uh, that they've got, they had 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and their numbers of troops were, were like grains of sand on a seashore. So you can imagine this incredible, vast, vast army. And then here were the Israelites. They had two swords in their, in their whole army, two that was it. it was Saul had a sword and his son Jonathan had a sword and that was it because the Philistines had prevented and outlawed the Hebrews from having their own blacksmith because of this reason. They didn't want them to arm themselves. And so anytime they had to bring their farming tools to be sharpened, like a plowshare or an ax, they had to bring it to a Philistine blacksmith to get sharpened. And so here, Saul has declared war on the Philistines. They're gathering in Gilgal, and they see, they look up, and they see this massive, massive war machine that is the Philistine army, this troops that just go on for days, and they all start freaking out. They had 3,000 men to begin with, and by the time they looked at the, at the army, they said, heck, no, I'm not going, I'm not doing this. And so they're like, they're out. And so it had shrunk down to 600 men against this vast army. And they were scared. And scripture tells us that they're hiding in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and, and, and even in cisterns to avoid being wiped out by the Philistines. And they're cowering in fear and they're just going, what are we gonna do? 
They were in dire need of a breakthrough and they didn't know where it was gonna come from. And that's where we jump into our story. In verse one, it says this. One day, Jonathan said to the ar his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. You see, they had, they had and this vast army, they had sent out three different outposts to keep an eye on the, on the Israelites. And so Jonathan said to his armor bearer, hey, let's go up to one of these outposts. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Geba around a pomegranate tree. No one realized that Jonathan had left the camp and to reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Senna. Now Jonathan found himself between two rocks and a hard place. <laughs> He's sitting there just going, okay, which way do we go up? Because Bozes, that stands for slippery. So one cliff, his one option is slippery. We're gonna free climb on a slippery cliff. <laughs> or the other one is thorny. So we're just gonna get poked to death as we, as we climb up this. But he completely trusted God that he was gonna show him what he was due <clears throat> to do because in this, in this moment where he was like looking at it going, this is impossible to do. How in the world am I gonna climb this? In that moment, the overriding thing for him was he, he was thinking, I am tired of hiding. I am tired of cowering. I am tired of living in fear. I'm tired of this fear being greater than the trust and, and, and the complete loyalty I have in my God, in his power, in his ability. And so he was facing these cliffs that he knew he had to climb, but he knew something else, that he wasn't alone. Look in verse six. It says, let's go to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. And then his armor bearer says, do what you think is best. I am, I am with you completely, whatever you decide. How huge is that? To be in almost an impossible situation and to have somebody that looks at you and says, I completely trust you and I'm with you and I've got your back. It was huge. You see, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they had this unique relationship where they were, their futures were knitted together by loyalty and trust. You see, it was the job of the armor bearer to carry, bear the armor. He carried his armor. He carried one of, one of two swords that the whole army had. He carried it for Jonathan. He covered his leader's back in a battle. He was to watch out so that nobody crept up on him. He was to fight alongside his leader and he, was, he accepted the leader's battle, Jonathan's battle, as his own no matter what. That was the role of the armor bearer. No matter what happened, I'm with you. You see, Jonathan was taking a huge step of faith in God. He completely trusted in his power and his wisdom and in his ability and the armor bearer, he has taken a complete and huge step of faith in Jonathan saying, I completely trust your leadership, your ability, and your wisdom. And so here they go. They're gonna climb up this cliff together. Free climb, no belaying, no ropes attached. Thorny or slippery. And then in verse eight, it says, all right then, Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. And when the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted at Jonathan, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. 
So he turns to his armor bearer. Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using hands and feet and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all and their bodies were scattered over about a half an acre. Suddenly panic began to break out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and the raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. Saul's lookouts in Geba of Benjamin saw a strange sight. The vast army, this army that was called grains of sand on a seashore, begin to melt away in every direction. How incredible. You see, here's the deal. Sometimes one act of faith can start a revolution. One act of faith can start a revolution. One act of courage, one act of obedience, one act of sacrifice. And for you and for me, it means for us to be willing to climb our own cliffs in our own life. Those cliffs can be made up of a ton of different things, but us to to look at impossible situations and say, God, I'm gonna trust in you. It doesn't make sense, but I'm gonna climb this cliff. And the cliff represents whatever holds you back from from allowing your life to be injected with your faith, to allow your faith to intersect in everyday life. Whatever holds you back from that is your cliff. And God is saying, I want you to climb it. Maybe for you, that's breaking the ice with a neighbor that you haven't had relationship with, or maybe you've had relationship, but it hasn't been the greatest. He's got that dog that will not stop barking, and I've been spraying it with my hose for 10 years. (laughs) Climb your cliff and go talk to him. Take a relational risk to begin to build a relationship so that your life begins to point them to God. Maybe it's allowing your faith to work its way into conversations with your friends. You've been in those situations You're sitting at a coffee shop and you kind of sense, man, this is kind of going in a faith direction. And then you go, well, I don't really know if they're ready for that. I don't know if I'm ready for that. And so let's just talk about other things. Maybe it's starting intentionally being able and being open to having spiritual conversations with the people that surround your life. Maybe your cliff is inviting a coworker to come with you to a weekend service. Or maybe it's, it's beginning to see the, the areas that you volunteer in, in the classrooms, or maybe on the sports fields with your sons and your daughters, maybe begin seeing that as this is a ministry opportunity. This is where my life, the way that I interact, the way that the things that I say, you know, means that, that, that they're gonna be able to see God in me. And I see it as a ministry, not just something that I volunteer at. Or maybe for students, Maybe it's in this season of transition, it's completely trusting in Olivia and in Dylan and in Janine and the team around us that say, you know what, they've got this. They are uniquely gifted and they are called and they are here right now to do and to take this ministry forward. And then whenever that time comes where they, where they bring in somebody to walk alongside them, to work alongside them, that you embrace them like you've embraced us and say, it's not about a person but it's about us transforming this valley, the 7,000 students that reside in the Castle Rock area. It's about introducing them to the creator of the universe. But we're called to climb our cliffs. 
our cliffs of fear, our cliff of rejection, our cliff of feeling maybe disqualified or unworthy or ill-equipped. It's climbing our cliffs of thinking that, that, you know what, if I begin to share in that way, if I begin to point other people to Christ, I mean, they've seen my life. I'm not the best person. They're just gonna call me a hypocrite. Well, newsflash, every single person in this room, including myself, is a hypocrite. We don't ever get it right 100% of the time. How refreshing would it be from a group of Christ followers to just say, you know what? Yes, I am a hypocrite. And the only way that I get by it is by I've got a God that loves me past my past. Instead of trying to be, yeah, instead of trying to be defensive, we just be real. But it requires us to climb our cliff. Maybe it's thinking that, that I don't have all the answers. They're gonna ask me something that I don't know and I'm gonna mess it up and they're never gonna come to Christ. Well, newsflash again, nobody comes to Christ because of us. It is the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit drawing other lives unto themselves. God just uses us for what it can do in our life. You're not gonna mess it up. If we could mess up an all-powerful God's plan and his purpose, then he's not an all-powerful God. So we've gotta climb that cliff. Stop looking at it and saying, I can't do this, and begin to climb like Jonathan. And here's the amazing thing, is what ministry might lie for you on the other side of your cliff? I know that not everybody's called to full-time ministry to be up on a stage to talk, but I guarantee you every single one of us that have a relationship with Christ, we are called to ministry, to ministry to the people that, that God has placed in our life. You have a ministry, you've gotta discover it, and sometimes it's on the other side of that cliff. But in order to climb, it's gonna take a few things from us. It's gonna take courage. It's gonna face down some of our fears and it's gonna require courage. Erwin McManus, in his book, The Barbarian Way, says this, the invitation of Jesus is a revolutionary call to fight for the heart of humanity. We are called to an unconventional war using only the weapons of faith, hope, and love. Nevertheless, this war is no less dangerous than any war ever fought, and for those of us who embrace the cause of Christ, the cost to participate in the mission of God is nothing less than everything we are and everything that we have. Faced with giving up everything, it's gonna require courage. But Hebrews 10.39 describes this in this manner. It says, but we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. That's the last verse before it begins to launch into what we call the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. Because he knew, he probably, the writer knew that, that we might read that and go, there's no possible way that we can do that. That might scare us to look at some of these lies. But here's the incredible thing. Every single person that he lists in there was a mess and in process and had done things that they regretted. At some point in their life, they were hypocrites. But now they're in the hall of fame of faith. It's gonna require courage from us to climb our cliff. It's also gonna require some friends. It's gonna require a group of people around you. That's why I love what the armor bearer tells Jonathan. He says we're about to climb, and he says in, in, in verse seven, do all that you have in mind. And in the NIV, it says, go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. 
Don't try to run this race. Don't try to climb this cliff. Don't try to live this, this life of being a Christ follower without a group of people around you with their arms around you. Man, if you try to do it alone, you will be frustrated and you will fail over and over and over again. We were created for community. For some of you, that means you might be Jonathan's. You might be in that leadership role where you're gonna decide where the handholds and where the footholds are. But the majority of us, we're gonna be armor bearers. And we're gonna trust and we're gonna follow God and we're gonna watch where he tells us to step and where he says to, to, to plant our hands. And we're gonna follow it precisely because we don't wanna fall off. We don't wanna to, to, to wreck. But maybe also it might mean that God's gonna put some leadership in your life that you're gonna have to follow like the armor bearer followed Jonathan that we're gonna completely trust them, that we're gonna have their backside, that we're gonna fight for them, that their fight is gonna become our fight no matter what. But it's gonna take some friends. It's gonna take some courage. It's also gonna take a mission worth giving your life for. And isn't that what we all really want in life? Our life to be wrapped up in something besides that goes beyond, that is greater than work, in school, likes on social media, or just being accepted by the people around us. And that's what we have an opportunity to do. This whole thing with, with changed lives, changing lives, with, with living this lifestyle out, with pointing people to God, that's a mission worth giving our life for. We've been given the gift of being used by God to reconcile a broken world. It doesn't get any bigger than that. But it's gonna require us to lose ourselves in his calling. And then lastly, it's gonna take five words. So it's got courage, some friends, a mission worth giving your life for, and five words. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Isaiah 6, 8 says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am, send me. How incredible would it be that if that was the, the first five words that came out of our mouth every single morning, Here I am, send me. No matter what it looks like, no matter how scary it gets, no matter what I'm gonna face, God, here I am, send me. If you wanna send a message to the people that are in Castle Rock or that are around my life, here I am, send me me. But it requires us to move from where we're at in order to engage in what God is doing. Henry Blackaby, Christian author, says this, you can't go with God and stay where you're at. You can't go with God and stay where you are. You must be willing to go in order to participate in his divine activity. That might mean go across the street. It might mean go across the cubicle. It might mean go across the world. I don't know what that means, but we've got to get in a posture with God that we say, here I am, send me. One of my favorite movies of all time <clears throat> is Braveheart. And it's the story of the Scottish people fighting for their independence. And, uh, and in the movie, there's this Robert Bruce character who betrays William Wallace ultimately to his death. But Sir Robert would eventually lead Scotland into their freedom. He would be named King of Scotland. And before his death, Robert the Bruce requested that his heart be removed and that it be given to a noble and worthy knight to take with him into battle. And so they removed Robert Bruce's heart, they embalmed it, they put it in a little container and they gave it to James Douglas. 
And James Douglas wore it as a necklace around his neck into every single battle. And in the 1330s, he, he took his, his troops over across the channel into Spain and to fight the Spanish Moors. And they were a considerable opponent. They were outmanned. They were outarmed. And in the middle of the battle, surrounded by the opposing enemy, James Douglas, he's going, I, I don't know how this is gonna happen. I don't know how this is gonna work out. I think this might be the end, end for me. He, tore, he tears the necklace from his neck and he throws it into the advancing army. And then he shouts out to his fellow Scottish <clears throat> fighters. And it says, fight for the heart of your king. Forward, brave heart, forward. I will follow my king's heart or die. And I think that's the call for us as Plum Creek. Are we gonna be a people that are gonna fight for the heart of our king? Because the heart of our king is for every single person to come to a saving knowledge of him. The heart of our king is not for us to stay in a building and say, hey, we're just gonna come every week and we're gonna come and listen, but it's to move forward into our community, our world, and say, our God loves you. Our king's heart is to see changed lives, changing lives, so this valley will be transformed by his grace and his power and his mercy. And so he says to us, forward, Plum Creek, forward. Fight and follow the king's heart or die trying. So I wanna challenge us forward. As individuals, let's climb our cliffs. As a group, as a collective, let's climb our cliff as a church. And let's begin a revolution that transforms this valley. I want us in this next moment just to allow that to sink in. And so I'm gonna ask for you guys to stand. We're gonna sing a song that Craig and the team wrote. It talks about running. Running after what God has called you to. To know that there's an incredible God with incredible power that is invested in you, that has given his life for you, and that wants to run with you on a daily basis. What would it look like if we did that together?